Hey y'all, so check it, check it, check it, check it out. I just came across a new clothing line that is amazing. It is Jupiter's Art. This is a clothing line for non-binary people, right? So the clothes are genderless and uh, they are also sustainable. Um, There's carbon offset and they don't add anything negative to the environment. And they're also um, an ethical company with fair pay for their employees. And they welcome uh, anyone in the spectrum of LGBT and race. It is owned by people of color and they deserve your attention. You can find Jupiter's Art on Instagram, on TikTok, and you can search for them on Google and find the website. It is amazing. Check it, check it, check it out. Wait till you see this jacket. Oh my God. It it is amazing. Y'all, you got to peep it. Jupiter's Art. Check it. Hey, y'all. Have you ever heard of Old Gods of Appalachia? Well, if you haven't, you have now. Let me tell you. This is a horror anthology podcast, and it is absolutely amazing. They have characters, they have actors, they have different people doing voiceovers. It is so ridiculously dope. Y'all gotta check this out. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm enthralled. I'm, I, I can't stop listening to it. This shit is crazy. And I gotta tell you, all the actors are, they're straight, they're queer, they're black, they're of color, they're male, they're female, they're they, thems, they, thems. They just, this thing is so diverse, man. And, and it's, there's actually some poets involved with this that I actually admire. So this is a big deal. Y'all got to check out Old Gods of Appalachia wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, y'all. It's your fam, Black Fluid Poet, coming to you live from my most humblest of abode of books. Chilling out during this pandemic paradise where the quarantine wasn't cute. And I still got some resentments, by the way. Anyway, y'all, it is 2 o'clock in the morning. It is officially Mother's Day. And I miss my mom. And I've been holding back tears most of the evening. Um, A lot of shows that I watch... uh, they all had their Mother's Day show, and I was like, fuck, man, like, I couldn't avoid it, you know, um, and I just, I thought about some of the, those poignant moments between my mother and I, and they, and they all, like, they flash now, like, they all come with just, like, a small snapshot photo, and I remember all the details just from seeing that photo, and I relive all the details within seconds of just seeing the photo. So all these emotions come rushing to the, to, you know, like to, to the edges of my skin. You know, like I just feel the emotions like just trembling my body in a lot of ways. And God, I miss that woman. I miss her toxic, dysfunctional, 
fucking rageaholic ass. I miss her. I miss her and her drinking. I miss her and her cynicism. I miss her and her sarcasm. I miss her and her sagacity. I miss her and her charm. I miss all the ways my mom made motherhood beautiful and treacherous. I miss the joy and I almost miss the pain just as much because at least she was alive then, you know? You know, I I told the story on TikTok tonight about the time I had a severe, severe asthma attack. I nearly died. And they had to give me, there, there was no asthma sprays in the, in the 70s, and they had to give me so much epinephrine that I began to hallucinate and go through convulsions and seizures. And they had to put me in this oxygen tent. It was this giant plastic tarp they put over a bed that had a hole in the tarp for a hose, and the hose just shot in, you know, 100% O2, you know? And... I remember like all the shadows and images beyond the plastic, like nobody could touch me. I was inside this plastic bubble and they all started to look like demons. And I remember hallucinating and my fever went sky high. And my mother sometimes has to remind me of parts of the story, but I freaked the fuck out, dude. I was screaming. I was panicking. And my mother started cursing out everybody in the emergency room. What the fuck are you doing to my child? You know? (laughs) And my mother was like, a scary woman. Now, granted, my mother was a white woman. And she may have had her moments of being a Karen. But let me tell you, they ain't nothing about a Karen. Grown up in Harlem, New York City. With platinum blonde cornrows in her hair. Five foot ten, 350 pounds. I wish a motherfucker would argue with my mama. Let me tell you. She wasn't playing. And when she started going, you motherfuckers better do something with my child. They scrambled. These people motherfucking scrambled. You hear me? But I, I I remember talking to doctors and my mother's just going, what the fuck? What do I do? You know, she just wanted to fix it. And I'm a lot like that now, you know. But doctors were, all these middle-aged white men were just all pontificating about, oh, he needs a dry climate. He needs a warmer climate. He needs... A, you know, a humidifier in his room. No, he needs a dehumidifier in his room. And this one woman, young woman, young doctor, um, who all the other doctors kind of scoffed and waved off. Um, my mother, you know, didn't like the way the other doctors treated her. So my mother was like, mother, fuck them. What do you think? And this woman asked a simple question. Do you have roaches? And my mother was like, are you serious? I mean, it's fucking New York City. Everybody has roaches. What kind of question is that? And that was literally my mother's response. I mean, we live in New York City in the projects. What do you think? Of course there's roaches. There's roaches everywhere. So <laughs> the woman said, there's been a recent study that the bacteria and the, the droppings of roaches uh, uh, exacerbates asthma and causes severe asthma attacks. So my mother took that into consideration, you know, and she went back to tending to me and trying to keep me calm and, oh man, it was a mess. It was a hot mess. So we get out of the hospital. It's, you know, maybe eight to 12 hours later. It's daylight and uh, 
you know, my mom has, has left to go get food and stuff like that. So I, I wasn't thinking anything of it when my mom left. Little did I know she was making plans to change our lives. Child, after 12 hours in this ER, I couldn't wait to get out of there. I, you know, and I always wanted the same thing. Whenever I got out of the hospital, I knew I could milk my mom for some McDonald's. I knew. I was guaranteed a cheeseburger and a shake after this. I knew it. So we left and I said, we going to McDonald's? She goes, yeah, but it's going to be a while before we get there. And we go outside and someone who I called Aunt Georgia, who was a friend of my mother's, a woman named Georgia, who lived in New Jersey. And uh, Georgia came to pick us up. And uh, strangely enough, like, why didn't we just take a cab home? Like, why Georgia drive all the way from, you know, fucking Jersey? Like, this didn't make no sense to me. But with my mama, if you a child, you ain't asking a lot of questions. Just get in the damn car. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I got in the car, but I couldn't help it. I was like, on oh, Georgia, what are you doing here? She was like, well, we're going to take a trip. And I was like, uh, okay. I said, mom, are we going home? She said, yeah. And I said, all right. We were driving for a little while. Then we were driving a little while longer. And then we were driving a little while longer. And I said, uh, mom. She said, yes, honey. I said, we're not going home. Where are we going? And she said, John, we're going to our new home. And in 12 hours time, my mother had organized a new place to live out of the projects, out of New York City, and hopefully into a better environment for my health. So we get to Jersey, and of course, the first place we go is a McDonald's in Inglewood, New Jersey, just off of Palisades Avenue. Shout out to Inglewood. Um, that was my New Jersey experience. That's where my New Jersey experience started. Um, and then after we went to McDonald's, we went back to Aunt Georgia's house. And she had a big, beautiful house. I had never been in a house like this, yo. I had never been to a house like this. I'm trying to tell you. This shit was unbelievable. Um, it was like one of those real, for real houses with like a basement. And like, you know, the regular floor with like the living room, the dining room, the kitchen. And you could like run a circle around it. It was like a little track, you know. <laughs> Um, and then there was, you know, you go upstairs, that's where all the bedrooms are, and you went upstairs again, and there was a fully furnished attic. And yo, this shit was like the Brady Bunch, you hear me? I was like, I was shocked, right? Because I was like, are we in a real house? Like, in a real house? Kind of like the ones that white people have on TV. You know, and Georgia was black, and I didn't know black people had nice houses like this. I was, I was floored, you know what I mean? I was eight, what did I fucking know? But I thought all black people lived in the projects, you know? Um, but anyway, so like, there were some kids in the neighborhood that I had met, um, from just being outside and stuff, and it had gotten to be evening time, and I noticed this amazing thing, right? There were these weird lights, just, there was a big, big yard, right? And there were these weird lights that just flickered in the air, just flickered on and off, they were green. And I remember they scared the shit out of me. I said, what the hell are these lights? And the kids were like, those are lightning bugs. And I said, lightning bugs? I had never seen one before, dude. I was from New York City. They don't have that shit in New York City. So I said, what the hell is a lightning bug? And I mean, they may have had them at Central Park, but I, who, who goes to Central Park when you live in the projects? You know what I mean? Come, come on. Anyway, so I digress. But anyway, the kids showed me the lightning bugs. 
And then they showed me how you could catch them. And I was like, catch them? They're like, yeah, you just catch them. And then they light up in your hands. And we were running around this yard catching these lightning bugs. And I was I was amazed. I, it was like magic. It was magical. Like the suburbs were like this new magic garden for me. <clears throat> I mean, there were trees and bushes and lawns and fucking lightning bugs. What the fuck? You know, people had cars and... There was a McDonald's nearby? What the hell? There's no a McDonald's nearby. I was in heaven, dog. I was in heaven. I was in paradise. And my mom starts crying. And I hadn't realized it. I hadn't needed any kind of asthma medication the entire day. I ran and didn't get an asthma attack. I was around trees and shrubs. There was even a cat and a dog. And I didn't get an asthma attack. And my mother just sobbed watching me run around a yard. And there's a lot to be said about that, right? First of all, could you imagine if like the other male doctors, we ignored the young female doctor because she was a woman? Because what does she know? Because she's so young. You know, like, had we um, aligned ourselves with the patriarchy and with white supremacy, we would have shunned this young woman with ageism and sexism, you know, and we'd have just been like, oh, what does she know? You know, she's just a babbling broad. Like, let me listen to the men. The, the men are, are the smart ones, you know. So had had we adhered to white supremacy and patriarchy and ableism. I mean, an ageism, not ableism, ageism. Um, I would never have moved. I could have eventually gotten an asthma attack and, and died in the projects. Um, and then there's like my mother. I don't think I said this yet. We left everything behind. My mother refused to bring any of the clothes, the washing machine, the dryer, Nothing. The stereo, the television, her clothes, nothing. Not the beds, the furniture. She left everything there because there were roaches and possible roach eggs in it. So she was like, fuck it. We starting over in Jersey. And I shit you not, my mother took me clothes shopping the very next day. I had no clothes for school, notebooks, nothing. I didn't have any shoes, nothing. She made it happen. And she found herself a new job in Jersey. Eventually got a car. My mom made shit happen. You know how like moms can like make a dope Christmas out of like, you know, tinfoil or fucking newspaper or string or whatever. Or like they will make Thanksgiving when you know damn well the day before there was no food in that fridge. And then all of a sudden there's a Thanksgiving spread that you couldn't believe. My mom took the labor of having to move with her child and turned it into magic, into a celebration, into love, into, into a miracle. Had my mother not been courageous enough to take what this uh, woman doctor said to her to heart, if she wasn't open-minded enough to listen to another woman, I'd still be in the projects today, maybe. But my mom 
said, fuck it. She was willing to try it. She wanted to fix it. And there it was. I was doing better than I had ever been doing before. I miss that woman. You know, we used to talk, all this talk about Roe versus Wade, and I don't want to get into the politics of it all right now, but I will say this. There was a time when my mother was on her deathbed. She was home. We would sit around and we'd watch Law and Order SVU. And she'd have her fentanyl patch on and her IV of antibiotics. My mom had something called osteomyelitis. It was a severe infection of the bone marrow. And at the time, there was no cure. There was no antibiotic strong enough. I, I hear there's treatment for it now. And, and that's good for the people who are around and sick with osteomyelitis now. But there was nothing for my mother back then. And uh, my mother died in 2003. But when my mom was on her deathbed, we used to watch, you know, all the Law and Order episodes. And we played this game where we used to have to guess who the culprit was before they told us who the culprit was. And you always knew it was like either some washed up actor that you never saw before, that you haven't seen in like forever, or some actor that you never saw before that had a little too much of a speaking part. And you're like, hmm, that's them. <laughs> so we used to just play this game all the time. And sometimes she'd be right and sometimes I'd be right. And whenever I was right, she would go, oh, shit. And whenever she was right, she would go, hey, hey. <laughs> And we had been doing that for quite some time, you know. But this one night, you know, I just thought about us. And I thought about her raising me. And, you know, through it all, I don't think I would change anything. You know, my mom was a pretty amazing woman with all of her faults. Pretty amazing woman. Nonetheless, people are complicated, and I'm learning that more and more now than ever. But I said to my mother, you know, I was just feeling warm and, and vulnerable, and I just said, Mom, I, I, I never thanked you. Like, I, I just want to thank you. And she said, thank me? Thank me for what? What are you talking about? And I said, you had eight kids. Like, you found out you were pregnant with a ninth kid and, and you kept me and I just want to say thank you, you know, because you could have, I could have ended up in a garbage can. This woman, <laughs> I fucking miss my mother, but y'all, let me tell you what this woman said to me. She said, John, don't thank me. Because let me tell you, Roe versus Wade didn't come till 73, but if it had been there before April of 1970, you wouldn't even be a fucking memory. And I was like, Mom! She was like, oh, I'm not kidding. You said it yourself. I was in a two-bedroom apartment in the projects. John, I was tired. I had eight fucking kids. Then I had all your cousins living with us. There were so many kids in my house, I could have had a school. Which is true, y'all. We had two sets of bunk beds in the back room. And I don't know how many kids fit on them beds, but there was a lot of us. They got pushed together. And we, we man, we camped out in that motherfucker. I can't tell you how many times that... I think at one time, I remember 11 of us back there between cousins and siblings and stuff. But um, I, I couldn't tell you an exact number. But my mom said, John, I, I didn't want any more kids. I didn't want you. I, I, don't, I hope you don't take this too personal, but I didn't want you. I didn't want to do it again. I was tired. And then you were born. And fuck me, you were born and you, were, you had health problems and shit going on with you. And I was just like, oh, fuck and you were colic. God, there was one night I almost picked you up out of the, out of the damn crib and I almost threw you against a wall. You were crying so much. 
And I was like, mom. Meanwhile, my mom has completely annihilated my moment of vulnerability where I heard this loving piano music in the background as I said this intimate shit to her. And I thought her to say, oh, John, I wouldn't have it any other way than to have you as part of my family. Like, you were the blessing. You know, I was expecting something pretty. She goes, John, don't thank me. <laughs> you almost got sucked up and spit out. You know what I mean? I was like, fuck! But, um, yeah, that was, that was my mom, you know? That was just my mom. And, uh, I miss her, y'all. I miss her. Oh, I miss her so much. You know, when you can't trust the clergy and you know the politicians are lying to you, if you don't know any poets yet, your mother's the only one to tell you the truth. Truth tellers are irreplaceable people. My mother was a truth teller. My mother always believed that if I was old enough to ask the question, I was old enough to know the answer. And I think I remember the moment when my mother realized that I had to be the gentlest human being that she had ever come across. Because everybody in my house was rough, man. They were they were rough around the edges. They were violent when they had to be. They They were aggressive, you know. And I wasn't. I was just this timid gentle kid that just didn't want to see anybody hurt and it used to wreck my mother my mother worried about me in the projects she worried about me in any hood we ever lived in because she was like john's just he's not a fighter he's he's different he's just and she used to get irritated oh my god john doesn't want to hurt anybody he doesn't even want to hurt a bug like he's just ugh, you know (laughs) she used to say that shit all the time like ugh. Oh, John, John's the gentle one. Oh, he just wants to hug everybody, you know. He gets up under your skin like a hemorrhoid, my mother would say. (laughs) Oh, here he comes up under my ass like a hemorrhoid. Oh, come here, John, give me a hug, you know. And I'm glad to see, like, there are some personality traits that come from childhood that never change because I'm still fucking like that today. And I can still hear my mother going, ugh, you know. (laughs) But um, my mom got me these encyclopedias because I had so much asthma, I, I, I could never make it um, to school. You know, there was one year of it, I think I went to school a total of 30 days, you know, out of 210 um, because of my asthma. I was in and out of hospitals all the time. And I felt bad that I, I didn't get to like read and I didn't get to do school stuff with other kids. And I was afraid I was going to be dumb. And so my mom... I don't know how she scrounged up the money because this shit was expensive back then. My mom purchased an entire collection of world book encyclopedias. And they were a game changer for me. And uh, I learned so much from them, you know, missing a lot of school. I, I think I, I think I surpassed my grade and, and a couple of grades after that because I just sat around reading those fucking encyclopedias. And I remember I came to one, my mother was, um, we were both sitting at a, a table in our living room. It's the kitchen table, but it's in the living room, in the projects, you know, wasn't a lot of room for shit. So the, the kitchen table was in the living room. But anyway, um, my mom was sitting there either going over bills or writing a list for something, I don't know. And uh, I was reading this book and I went, mom, 
and she said, what? And, and I remember thinking to myself, I was either six or seven when it happened. And I said, why do they kill people? And she was like, what are you talking about? And I showed her, I was, I was, I was in the A's, I was in the A encyclopedia, and there were two photos of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, Japan, and it was about the atom bomb. And I said, why did we do that? And my mother was a tough woman, you know, rarely broken down or anything, but my mother started to cry. And she didn't know what to say to me because she saw it in my face that I was, I was broken, you know, I was, it wasn't like some TV movie about war. It was like, they really dropped this bomb with a three mile radius on a bunch of people just cause. And I said, but but they dropped that bomb on everybody. That wasn't just like soldiers. And she was like, yeah, I know, honey. It's because when you're at war, it's about fighting to get your way. And sometimes people are willing to do whatever they can to get their way. And I said, so they killed a bunch of people just to get their way? And she said, yeah. Yeah, honey, that's what they did. I said, is that, you know, and I remember talking to her and I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but I remember wanting to say something like, is that how things go? And my mother looked me in the face and said, yes, that's, that's how the world sometimes works. And I'm really sorry. And I never heard my mother say that to me. She said, I'm so sorry, John. Because she knew my heart, you know. And she felt, she felt me breaking, you know, she felt my confusion and, you know, uh, just my bewilderment, you know, and I remember reading the measurements of this bomb and it was like four feet fucking wide and, and like five, six feet tall. And then it just destroys like miles and and all these people and lives and and I just remember being sad for like a while and uh my mother was a genius at this she was like you know pull down the f the f one and I pulled down the f one she goes do you know how many different flowers there are in the world and my mother starts showing me all the flowers (laughs) I was staring at these pictures for hours man and I know my mother felt like because I know she felt like she she dodged a bullet because I had a lot of questions after that bomb thing. And I remember getting uh, to see to the civil rights and uh, the civil rights movement and and I had questions. I had questions. You know, I had a whole bunch of motherfucking questions. I didn't understand why they were turning hoses on kids. And I didn't understand why the cops were sicking a dog on a dude who had no gun and who hadn't robbed the bank and who hadn't hurt anybody. And I just remember feeling conflicted and not being able to wrap my head around 
things like racism and war and it, it just there wasn't a gray area you know when you when, I guess when you're a kid it's wrong you know there's right and there's wrong and that's it and this is fucking wrong you know and I remember looking at my mom like why did we do this like it's wrong and my mother would just go I don't honey it's hard to explain and that, that was her answer so often honey it's hard to explain but she would explain and she told me about, you know, the Montgomery bus boycott. And she, you know, told me that black people were tired of having to sit in the back of the bus. And, you know, she told me about black men being lynched. And she told me about black women being raped. Like, she told me everything. And not all that day, mind you, but she told me the things that were seemingly unbearable. And I remember being older and asking her, like, why would you tell me all that stuff? She said, John, because you wanted to know. And who's to say what you're supposed to keep from a child or, or tell a child? If the child is asking, maybe their spirit needs them to know. So you just fucking tell them. If they ask the question, you tell them. <clears throat> and I often wonder if having that kind of information, that kind of context and, you know, I, I I often wonder if that's what made me so emotionally sturdy when my mother ended up going to prison. I wonder if that's what held me together when I was 14, 15, and 16 and had to make a bunch of really grown-ass decisions at such a young age, you know? I, I think that that, le- that that contributed to the maturity I had at a very young age. I, I was a very mature kid. I mean, think about it. I couldn't play sports. You know, I could barely make it to school. So everything was about reading, watching television, listening to the radio, spending a lot of time by myself. I played games like chess and, you know, I I couldn't do a lot of stuff. So I spent a lot of time secluded. And I probably wasn't influenced as much by the patriarchy. And I probably wasn't influenced as much by white supremacy because it was just me and books. You know, I couldn't run. I, I couldn't play sports. I, you know, so I learned. I learned a lot. And my mother created an atmosphere where I would continue learning, you know. Oh. Be right back. Hey, y'all. Uh, your fam, Black Fluid Poet. Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers um, see that um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I, I I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a thousand subscribers, 
I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because, yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care. Hey, y'all. You ever heard of an amazing young woman by the name of Zinzi Smith? Well, I have. And her and I had just an amazing conversation on Beyonce's internet. I will have you know that 20-year-old Zinze Smith has her own black woman-owned business for an entire year now teaching spin classes. And let me tell you, she's enthusiastic. She wants the world to know that she's ready to help you shed them pounds from Thanksgiving and Christmas and help you keep up with that New Year's resolution that all of us middle-aged people like to make while we're still making them. So I, for one, am going to try and take one of her classes, just $15 for an online class with Zinzi Smith. She also teaches in person in studios in Brooklyn and in Queens and NYC. And all around, I got to tell you, I am just in awe of her. So you can reach out to her on Spin With Zin. That's Spin With Z-I-N on TikTok and on Instagram. And let her know that you heard it here on Black Fluid Poets Podcast. And you trying to shed them pounds and keep up that New Year's resolution. You feel me? So give her a shout out. Let me know how it went. Hey, y'all. It's your fan Black Fluid Poet back for part two here. Thank you for listening to the advertisements. Incidentally, if you know anybody that needs some advertisement for their small business, I am hella affordable. Send them my way. I've had over 30,000 listeners in the last year, and this is only going to blow up. I'm on my way up. On my way up. So anyway, I digress. Back to my mom. So, yeah, I miss this woman because she was just, man, I feel like my my mom could have handled any situation that came our way. You know, the funny thing was my my mom, there would be like a short in a wire or something, or there would be like something wrong with the car and my mother would, you know, step out of the car, lift up the hood, start to fix it. Or, you know, she'd splice a wire or fix a chair in the kitchen. And as soon as she was done, she'd go, who needs a motherfucking man? I don't need no goddamn man. And I don't know if that did damage <laughs> to my young manhood or if it just entertained me. But I remember having an uncomfortable laugh whenever she said that. <sighs> she taught me so much. She taught me She taught me things that acad- academics are, are talking about today. You know, she taught me things about how complicated people are. You know, she taught me things about intersectionality. Before there was a such word as interfucking sectionality. Like my mom was like, well, John, you got to keep in mind that this isn't just any woman. This is a black woman. And this isn't just any black woman. This is an old black woman. Like there, there are things that, that she finds that she deems respectful and good and things that she finds disrespectful and bad that you may not understand. And she helped me to see people as different but the same. Like we all want, I hope, we all want love. We all want joy. We all want endurance. But like where we come from and where those priorities are are going to be different. And she helped me to listen to people because of that. Because I was looking for the 
intrinsic things that made a person slightly different from me, even though we were both human beings. And it made me curious about human beings. And I think that's why I've been a relatively good podcaster. I think that's why I've been, you know, a a good creator on TikTok and, you know, Instagram. And I think that's also why I've been a good waiter over the years and a good counselor at one time when I worked at a detox because it wasn't hard for me to see what was unique about other people because I had been learning to look for it my whole life. Something else that people say about me is that I'm very considerate. And I I don't think that that came with birth. I, I, I really don't. I think that that's an emotional intelligence that I slowly learned um, through my mother, through the culture my mom set up. Because my mom was quick to say, did you think about anybody else when you did this? Did you think about who this would hurt before you did it? Did you think about what I might do if you had done that? Like, my mom would always beat into my head that I wasn't the only one. John, you're not the only one in this house. John, you're not my only child. John, you're not the only boy. Like, she was constantly reminding me that I, you know, it wasn't always about me. That the world, you know, didn't spin around my life. And and that the sun didn't rise and set in the crack of my ass, which is something she used to always say. The, the sun don't rise and set in the crack of your ass, boy. But um, she prepared me to be part of a community because of that. Now, I could talk about all the horrible decisions and choices and chances my mother screwed up. and I can talk about, you know, what led her to prison and I can talk about, you know, all her flaws and... and you know, the beatings and the violence and the alcoholism and the drugs and the poverty. But like, I will another day. I will. But right now we're talking about this part. We're talking about all the wonderful things about this woman that I missed. I, I especially want to take a moment right now, though, for the people who don't have a good relationship with their mother the people who don't talk to their mother anymore, the people who may have buried their mother long ago and they really kind of feel ambivalent about it for whatever reasons that their relationship was strained. And I want to tell those people I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you know, and there was a point in my relationship with my mother, but that could have been us. I, I could have just walked away from her. And I don't know what it was about my mother that made her change, but there was a lot of things that my mother saw differently after she got out of prison, and she didn't want to lose me, and she worked really hard to help us rebuild our relationship. And I don't know if it necessarily rebuilt, because I was still hurt about a lot of stuff, and I was kind of distant from my mother, because, you know, it. could you imagine 12 years... 12 years my mom spent in jail and prison. And I couldn't hug her. I couldn't hug my mother for 12 years. Because back then at Clinton Correctional Center, you, you still you couldn't sit at a table and just hug each other. Um, there was still like a divider between you two. You couldn't touch, you know... Um, I didn't hug my mother for 12 years. And I'm sure 
that that had something to do with the misogynist that I became at one point. Because I became bitter and angry. And I was angry at all women. I was I was angry that my mom was gone, you know. And uh, I made some, some women in my life, I made them pay for it. I made them pay for my motherless experience through through adolescence, you know. And it's sad, but it's true. That's the truth. You know, I'm not going to... You know, I'm not going to doll it up. That, that's what it was. But I'm grateful for the experiences I had. And to those people who have those strange, those strained relationships. Uh, I can say that the moment I've decided that I'm friends with somebody is also the moment that I've accepted that I'm going to let them down at one point or another. Whenever I'm in a, a, a relationship, a loving relationship, whether it be a friendship or with my children or with a potential spouse or partner, I understand that at some point I am going to fail them. This whole like, you know, I'm never going to fail you. I'm always going to be there for you. That sounds great. I mean, it looks great in movies. But that's not how life works. And I've accepted that I'm going to fall short, you know. And by looking back on my relationship with my mother, my mother fell short a lot. And we forget that motherfuckers come into parenting with whatever the hell they have and they try to make that shit work because there ain't no instruction manual for that shit. Society has a way of telling people how to do things even if it's wrong. And we just blindly go with it, you know. You, you look at, you know, colonialism, and and you look at slavery, and you look at, you know, um, riots and and lynchings, and you know, over the years, just historically, we 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 as a species, humanity, we tend to do some shit until. Until people start dying or until the majority, the social conscience of the majority says this is no longer acceptable. And then we, then we eventually start to change. But usually there's a lot of bodies behind that decision. And I just want to say, if, if you're having a hard time forgiving your mom, I'm not talking about dads right now, I'm just talking about moms. If you're having a hard time forgiving your mom, I get it. There's been some shit that I had a hard time letting go of with my mother. And yeah, you only get one, blah, 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 blah. That's not what I want to tell you. What I want to say is this. Your mother is a human being who has obviously fallen short and she may not ever change. She may not ever get any better. And it took me as an individual deciding how I was going to treat my mother regardless of however she treated me. And I've taken that through all aspects of my life. I've decided I'm going to treat people a specific way no matter how they treat me because I am who I am. And I'm a loving, considerate, kind, generous person. 
And that's how I treat other people, with love and kindness and generosity. And maybe they don't treat me the same way. And that sucks, and it's unfortunate. However, that ain't my problem. My problem is making sure I treat people the way I know I need to treat people. And that's one of the many lessons I got from my mother. Happy Mother's Day, y'all. Maybe we'll talk about this again some other time. Peace.